0: Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Fiona Pathiraja, the HealthTech VC. On this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with ambitious startups, outstanding investors, and visionary leaders in health tech. This week's guest is Emil Larson, a global executive search specialist in the medical imaging space. Emil regularly places talent into many post-Series A startups, and I've always been struck by how much insider knowledge he has of the whole imaging space. As global medical imaging landscapes develop, the startups are becoming scale-ups and specialist recruiters are a key part of this bustling ecosystem. CM Medical and other specialist recruiters are moving beyond just hiring and now provide a whole suite of market intelligence and market insights to their clients. Emil and I touch upon startup culture, how to get senior hires from big corporates, whether it's worth doing personality testing for potential hires the skill sets that health tech startups are looking for, and how diversity of skills is just as important as gender-based diversity in the startup world. Emil, welcome to the Health Tech VC podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me. It's, uh, It's lovely to be with you.
0: We connected to begin with on LinkedIn and got to know each other over time. It'd be really great if you can share with the listeners how you got into this very niche area of recruitment within the medical imaging space.
1: So like you say, we connected over LinkedIn and recruitment was always a fantastic opportunity for me to develop myself and pursue my ambitions in terms of a professional career. What motivated me at the time was having that high job satisfaction where the pace of the work that I do would need to be quite fast. So sales was quite a natural fit. And I felt that something fairly office-based like recruitment would definitely suit my personal situation as well. Before Charlton Morris, a lot of people have been for x-rays or, or MRIs, whatever you've broken a wrist when you were younger. So you have, you know, some interactions, but it's never been something that I thought of before. And since getting into medical imaging I have to say that I have not looked back once and I've not thought about leaving the industry at at any point you so quickly become engrossed in what the market is nowadays I don't really see myself as just a recruiter in medical imaging but a business consultant within the medical imaging space I feel part of it a lot of that is to do I suppose with the high levels of, of innovation and the real value that comes from what imaging equipment or software whatever it is can actually do so the value to to patients but also there's an emotional element to to imaging as well people who have been afflicted with whatever it may be like a neurovascular disease or cardiovascular disease that type of thing and then you start seeing these companies who are developing technology in in imaging to help patients and improve patient care, it can really hit that sort of soft note as well.
0: It's really interesting that you're saying that you feel like you're part of the ecosystem. I was going to ask a little bit more about that because when a startup is very early on, they see themselves as very much, you know, sort of I guess, a silo, they're working together, they're a really strong team, but and they're recruiting via their own network. And over time, they'll start realising, wait, our network doesn't span the whole world, and we don't know everyone. So we need to start reaching out to people like yourself and your company. And so I was wondering what you think about your place in this ecosystem, and, and how you manage these relationships with startups and investors like me?
1: Yeah, I really see, really see myself as that consultant, rather than the CV. Pusher. First of all, as a, an organisation, we offer a number of different services outside of just hiring. So obviously, we have this you know huge platform for marketing and developing content for our industry, which obviously has its ulterior motives in terms of we want to have people looking at what we're doing and getting attracted to us. But we are offering you know genuine insights into into the market offering genuine pieces of of content like I recently did with the, the Nordic article featuring some of your portfolio companies as well to give people those insights and explore the market. Beyond that, connecting with consulting services, offering contracting services, reimbursement services for companies who are Um, looking to get their products reimbursed in different countries. It's a complete portfolio of of offerings that we do have. And I think that is the the real place that we do have within that ecosystem is being a point of contact for founders and and investors. There's countless examples where I've been on the phone with a, a CEO or senior sales or whatever it may be from one of these AI startups and imaging that you and me know, both really well Mm. and having conversations about things not necessarily related to hiring people into the business so just offering them insights into the market is a big company shedding people for whatever reason reducing the size of department and there's people available or is it this country could be a really good opportunity because we know a distributor there from our previous work that maybe we can introduce you to there's all these sorts of points which mean that we are that point of contact, I would say, helping hand, especially for the early stage, to give them expectations and, and keep them realistic in their expectations for, for hiring as well as all the other services that we can provide.
0: One of the things you mentioned before is that you're creating all this content, which, you know, as you said, could be seen a little bit like, well, is this a cynical ploy to draw more people in? But actually, <laughs> when I looked at it, I thought that it's really useful. And, and it's a way of bringing communities and people together, like the Nordic article you wrote, which included me and some of our portfolio companies, it just shines a light on what's happening in the Nordic region, which if you're reading this on LinkedIn, in from Spain. You might not know. Is that a conscious thing within CM Medical where you're thinking, look, we need to also be creating content that's valuable as opposed to just pure content marketing?
1: Yeah, I think, it, I think the approach is completely value-led. So first and foremost, we want to create content that people are going to be interested in learn from and get insights from that is the reason that we do it our websites nowadays that we have across our three divisions see medical being one of them
0: hmm. there's
1: no job adverts posted on there there's nothing about look at this role find this role here, put your CV in, that type of thing. is completely content focused. And the reason for that is about just adding that value to each and every consultant's industry that they work in. One of the you know really interesting things that came up when I was doing that Nordic article was about that healthcare ecosystem itself in, in Denmark, perhaps, with high levels of interest from investors, but also taking into account the education system, how far along they are in their digitalization, mm-hmm. make start up sort of growth so easy essentially in that region and that might be completely different for DAC for example it might be completely different for southern Europe it's definitely different for wider across the mirror and, and across the globe as well it helps us to to open doors as well naturally
0: and you're talking about here geographical location and you before you said you're covering Europe is that the whole of Europe do you include the UK now that we're post-Brexit <laughs> <laughs> how does that work
1: Yes, yeah, so the, the post-Brexit thing is a funny topic. It comes up with people quite a lot. But yeah, I work all across Europe, or I suppose EMEA, so <clears throat> Europe, Middle East, and, and Africa is the region that, that I cover. I have a colleague, Cameron, who is also an imaging specialist, and he focuses primarily on North America. As you can imagine, the companies in North America looking to get C CE mark and expand into Europe, and vice versa, companies in Europe obviously looking to get their FDA. So the focus from our side in terms of capabilities and imaging is global. But for me, yeah, Europe is all of Europe. So into Eastern Europe, into Southern Europe and Italy and Spain, we do work even into the the Turkeys and Greece's. these countries as well, not necessarily all EU, but all of Europe is definitely the focus. And naturally the biggest markets are where we do the majority of, of work. So the UK, is obviously a big one for us because we're based in the UK anyway. So we get a lot of attention from the natural thinking of they're based in the UK. They'll have candidates in the UK. They probably know a lot about the UK. But Germany is also a huge market for me specifically because of the level of innovation, people coming out of university with ideas and getting backing and sponsorship for those ideas. It's such a large country with a you know big population as well. It's natural that there's going to be a lot of business, you know, coming out of that.
0: The thing about Germany, I think is interesting because I also think that Germany is a great place for health tech startups. We have two investments there at the moment. We have one in Austria as well. So we share a sort of a big network between the two of us. One of the things I find quite funny is that you're always posting things on LinkedIn for... Of specific jobs where you're anonymizing, like pseudo-anonymizing them, saying this company in France doing this and this. So I'm always trying to guess what the company is, and I know mean, most times I'm right. But I wondered why that is. What's the thinking there?
1: Yeah, the main thinking is that I don't want my competitors to find out who I'm working with. To be very honest with you, that's one of the key reasons because we work hard on the relationships yeah. that we build with companies and, and AI, or not necessarily AI, but startups within within health tech are always open really to when they are hiring to see candidates from a number of areas because they don't want to miss anything. Working with one recruiter, for example, who maybe they don't really know that well because they've only had a couple of conversations yet. They have a really good business brand. They, they're they specialists in, in imaging these types of things. And in a lot of cases, we do work exclusively with clients, but sometimes they want to keep it open a little bit and they will accept profiles from elsewhere. That and that reason for keeping the the names off of there is just about making sure that our clients are happy working with us and don't need other people peppering them with CVs who may not be specialists. And there's nothing wrong with working with somebody who isn't a specialist, but the insight that they can provide or the disruption that they can cause to a process can be significant sometimes. Yeah. So that's obviously one reason. There's a number of of other things in there about overlaps if it's a replacement for somebody who's in a role or something like that there's a lot of uh, a lot of dynamics around making things public all the time but when you guess like you say you drop me a quick LinkedIn message is this company (laughs) stop hiding it from more often than not that you are
0: so moving on a bit I wanted to talk about the typical company, of course, I know. You know, you'll say there is no typical company, but in general, yeah, in the medical AI space, are you at a specific stage of investment, a specific size of company? When do they really need this recruitment help from a professional recruitment uh, firm?
1: So, on on one end, like, like you say, there we work with the the startups within. AI imaging quite a lot but on the other end of things we also work with some of the major and biggest manufacturers of medical devices or medical imaging devices in terms of ultrasounds big equipment like MRIs and, and CTs and digital X-ray rooms all these types of things we also work with those so companies who are tech giants and multinationals have thousands of employees as well we work on both scales and that's I think really where we do offer quite a lot of insight into into the market because the startups, we go all the way down and and are prepared to work with and keen to work with companies who are one, two people. The hot topic area is definitely in those three to six months post-Series A and also during and post-Series A. So companies who know or are 95% sure that their Series A's are going to complete with five to 10 million, whatever it may be, they already know the types of people that they want to hire into the business. They may mm. already be revenue generating, but not profit making yet, perhaps. Or maybe they have a software where they're offering a free demo for three to six months, but they still need people in, in customer success, in operations, in marketing, in you know product road mapping for the future, because they know that Series A is on the way. And we can help them to build those teams in preparation for that moment where the money comes in and they say, "Okay, that's it. Full market launch. Let's get this really up and running, make it stable so that we can build towards a series B. And that's a lot of the time in that moment. And during series A, we obviously can help to build teams. And then there's that post series A in between A and B where companies are maybe not from Europe already, perhaps. So they're from the US or they are from South Korea or wherever it may be and they're saying to us we need to build a full European sales team one person in each of the major areas or major regions to really push our product now we've got clinical validation we've got key KOLs in the market telling us that our product has got legs and telling other people that our product has got legs and then we obviously go away and help them to build those teams as well.
0: And it's an interesting point you make about this whole Series A because as an investor, I'm on the inside of that process. And you can always see that the companies are realizing, look, we need to have people who have been senior and in serious positions in big companies, whether it's in sales positions at Siemens or some sort of other position at GE, for example. But I think often they're a bit sort of nervous about is it too early? Is, will that person fit our culture? All of these kinds of things. And the founders also get sometimes a little bit nervous about this. How do you deal with the, the founders and try and explain to them really the purpose of getting high quality senior hires on board?
1: It is a really important uh, point, And it's something that comes up quite a lot as well, actually, that age old question, and I say age old, from my experience of this person's had 20 years at G, How are they going to fit into our culture? And sometimes it doesn't always work out. Sometimes that fit isn't there. Or maybe companies are too early in the hire. And the hire that they've made, the expectations are for them to do something. And then it doesn't fit. And then that doesn't necessarily work out. What I would say to, to those leaders within the organization is to just be realistic with yourself and realistic with your expectations. Completely understand your culture and the type of personality that you need before actually making that hire. Exploring the market or working with a specialist like myself, I can hopefully give you that insight as to the challenges you may face in hiring those leading positions and also the real opportunities that you have from the market as well because some people don't want to be at G's or whoever it may be for 15 20 plus years for their whole career and at some point they will want to take a step out and they will be the perfect fit there are countless companies within the startup category who are hiring in people from the Philipses and Siemens of this world and they are being really successful and doing really well but they already have that mentality perhaps of I've worked in a Startup type of environment in my previous company, even though it was a large organization, because even though we were in a bit of a silo, we were still developing and bringing a new product to market. So their head is already in that plate in terms of how they work and how that could fit with the team. But importantly, that interview process needs to be solid. You need to make sure that all the key stakeholders in your company are speaking. To this person, and, and really qualifying that reference checks and even things like personality testing is a real, you know, confirmation of the type of person that you can that you are bringing in is right for for the job and for the company as well.
0: I was actually going to ask about this whole personality testing thing because yeah. it it can be a bit, yeah, I guess. Um, it, polarizing in the way that it's viewed. There's a big Danish public funder called VexFunden, which is Denmark's uh, biggest funder of startups. And one of their co- sort of core com- competencies or criteria is that the, the founder has to pass psychometric testing and be approved on these metrics. And I wondered mm-hmm. what you think about the role of psychometric testing, personality testing, etc in recruiting is it valuable is it an adjunct to something a lot bigger than that
1: the main reason that i would encourage using it is if you have two candidates who are the latter stages of an interview process and that hiring manager is just completely stuck with who to go for both have their merits in the right places they're both in line with the salary expectations all that type of thing but they just can't pick who they want to go for use a personality test and maybe something from that will come out to say that person's definitely going to fit better in the team. So ultimately, I see it as a really valuable tool, but to be used in in the right way. It can also be used really well at the beginning of your process. So not the first communication, because you want to have a a point of contact within that company who is hiring. But at a second or third stage, if somebody has a small team, let's say you have a, a sales team and it's a chief sales officer, And you have, you know, two sales reps, you've got one person in one of the sales reps positions already, and you're looking for somebody else who is basically going to be the last piece of the puzzle to that jigsaw, where you need certain things from them and and add something more to the strategic sales side of things. You need to be able to qualify that that person is going to be in line with fitting to that last piece of the puzzle. And it is a really great way to To find out. And it also gives insights to the candidates themselves. Maybe they see through doing that, Mm. actually, this job opportunity, based on what that said to me, after the first conversation I had with a hiring manager now really sounds like something that I could be good at. And I could definitely fit within this team. Or it could go the other whole way and say, let's not waste anybody's time. It's clear that I'm not going to be a good fit. And then it could be a time saver as well through that process. So ultimately, I see it as a really valuable tool and I would recommend people to use it. But at that right moment, okay. using it incorrectly just for anybody in five people at the start of a process would be a misproper use of, of that tool.
0: If somebody who's listening is a doctor, for example, looking to one day be chief medical officer at a health tech startup, or somebody who's at business school who maybe has done several years of management consulting in healthcare, now wants Mm. to move into the startup world, into a more senior role, what advice would you have for them? Because they might not know the sort of skills and competencies needed in health tech or medical imaging AI.
1: That's a really good point. And just to cover the sort of academics, first of all, rather than Those who are doctors necessarily. What's actually quite attractive for a lot of these AI startups at the moment is those people. Who have that academic and then that management consulting type of experience? Everyone's saying you want somebody really intelligent because they're going to be able to think quite dynamically, adjust to, to different situations, and come up with you know new and uh, fresh ideas. But management consulting, a lot of times in some of these comes companies like like the sort of big four in accounting and finance and some of mm. these KPMG type of companies, there are people in there who maybe have a bit of experience in management consulting, but in the healthcare side of the business, who are actually really attractive because they have that analytical way of thinking, rather maybe than somebody who has previous experience in sales within some sort of medical clinical function coming into your radiology AI startup and just doing the same as they've done. So those <coughs> Wait, hold to- on a sec,
0: though. One thing to- Sorry to interrupt, but I just wondered, aren't salespeople also really important in a medical imaging startup at some point?
1: Yeah, definitely. Salespeople are fundamental, but I'm saying these management consultant type of people actually coming into sales roles because of Um, the way that they think is different to the traditional sort of sales rep. And sometimes startups within this AI imaging space actually prefer to see that analytical way of thinking, new strategies, rather than just hitting the road and knocking the doors, which also they want them to do, but they want them to be really I suppose agile in their way of thinking. So those people, you know, could potentially be stepping into sales type of types of positions. What I would advise anybody to do, who is coming from uh, that management consulting or academic type of background, to be able to get into this space, is have working knowledge of a clinic. That's so important for most of these companies in in the hires that they make a lot of the time it's can we tick off the box of their previous radiographer radiologist something like that it can always be really important but if you haven't done that so un- understanding of healthcare ecosystems or business in healthcare these types of courses are going to be really advantageous to be able to get yourself an opportunity with with some of these companies obviously if you're coming from a different background the software engineering and all those types of things you have a natural opportunity to step into these companies within their software engineering teams as well perhaps On the other side of it as a doctor, what would I say there for being able to get you know involved with the startups? Really, is be an early adopter, get involved. If we take the UK as an example, get involved with NHSX as soon as possible. Not only are you going to be able to attract interest from startups because you're doing that, because you're going to become a point of contact, and they're going to want to know ideas about what's going on or which innovation where the budget's been allocated, but it puts you as a doctor in the good position as well to see which of these companies or which AI technologies are going to have the most potential in advancing patient care. So just get started as soon as possible, integrating yourself into that world of AI tech. And then from there, take that forward. And hopefully that presents some sort of opportunities with startups. And recently, I have seen a number of doctors moving into those CMO positions. So it's evidence that this is something that happens and there are those opportunities there for people.
0: Yeah, they definitely are. And from the investor point of view, we've just taken on a CMO in one of my startups. And it is an exciting place to be. But equally, I think there is this thing about you can't just be appointed straight into a CMO role, you need to have done something before you need to have had lots of touch points with startups, AI, etc. So it's something that you'll slowly build a foundation and then find an opportunity and then lean into that.
1: And those touch points are actually something that are important across all of the functions when we talk about some of these companies, not just with the, those doctors maybe looking to transition from the clinic to industry, but also when, also when companies are hiring, let's say, salespeople is probably the best function to use. As you mentioned before, they are very important. But what's changing quite a lot is the permanent hiring to, to consultant hiring. This year, I think I've helped companies to hire more consultants than I did all of last year, because their touch points as, as salespeople or their calling points as salespeople are the same. So they're radiologists across hospitals in Germany or Netherlands or France, wherever they may be. But they've transitioned out of a permanent role to having being self-employed and having their own business. But they're working for two or three different AI startups, all with the same calling points, but taking different applications and and working with different indications to each of them not causing any issues with overlapping or you you know any uh, competitive issues that type of thing but those those calling points for each individual working within those sales roles are really important because it can bring a number of new technologies in one go to them and that just highlights the the importance of the, the flexibility that these AI startups need to show when they're hiring, consider hiring consultants, whether it's on a year contract or longer, they can bring you bring you a lot of customers, I would say.
0: That's a good point. And I haven't really thought about that too much, actually. One of the things we that is often unsaid is the thing around when you're hiring permanent staff, whether it's a chief medical officer or head of sales, around pay. So if you're in a startup and you're looking to get more senior role, let's say you're post-Series A, or you're just coming up to Series A and you're looking to hire somebody senior, from a recruitment point of view, do you recommend that people offer warrants in their company to these senior strategic roles?
1: Yeah, so a lot of a lot of companies, because they can't make up the difference in the base salaries, are offering share options or a Mm. stake in the company. That's definitely something that, you know, in the last Four or five contracts that I've had to review or offers that we've had out for candidates, they have been included in there and they are becoming ever more important for the candidate side as well. I'm moving to a company that has a lot of risk associated with it because it hasn't been around for that long. If they go to IPO or acquired at some point, because a lot of these companies do have you know, exit strategies at some stage, how am I going to benefit from that in the next five to to 10 years? So it's a really important point from both sides. One, to be able to attract the candidates and two, for the candidates to be able to, people join the companies to offset that risk as well of joining. Because sometimes the salaries in some of the bigger companies are dwarfing the whole packages in some of the AI startups. You need to offer something extra to make it up for them. Obviously, the endless and huge bonus opportunities are still there as well with with the AI startups because they're less fixed and they in their thinking if you do well you will be paid well for doing well. is a, a, a common concept as well.
0: And I think also if you have a stake in a company even if it's small you feel like you, you, much more sense of ownership right so you're there because it's not just about your salary you're not an employee you're more of an sort of owner mindset as well.
1: Yeah but you're part of it and again from the company side of things that's what they want to see from people that they're hiring. They want to feel like new employees are managing their day-to-day work as if it were their, were their own startup. And so what better way to make that real by actually giving a mistake in the company?
0: Sometimes the fit doesn't work. Even though it looks great on paper, they've met the startup and the, the candidate has met. And they've maybe come from Siemens GE, one of the big OEM producers. But if that doesn't work out, and this has happened recently in one of my startups, where they did take somebody who was pretty senior in one of these big companies into their, into their startup. And then unfortunately, it just didn't work out. So I actually thought it was quite good that they decided early on, look, we've given it enough time, but it is not working. So we need to terminate the relationship and move on. Have you seen that kind of thing? And in, in that situation, how do both parties handle it? Best. what's your tips as a recruiter to that
1: luckily for me to make the situation a bit more real i do know which case you're you're referring to that is a, a scenario that i don't see too often per se somebody joining and then leaving a couple of months later but i suppose there are ways that you can avoid these types of things happening definitely again is so important to have thorough interviews and i suppose one step to add before it even gets to the company again is to work with a, a business consultant recruiter you know, like myself to be able to vet that individual. It's so easy, we can share our reservations early on even before candidates are, are introduced for positions like that, which helps as a first barrier even before it touches base with the company. We can make companies consider things that they wouldn't have considered without you know without us being there so we make things realistic we set their expectations early on but in the case that you're talking about if they'd worked through me and it had been the same person probably would have been the same result but let's say it was somebody else we would set those expectations early say we're a little bit concerned about their big company experience you're transitioning into your small environment how do you think that your you know team of team of leaders is going to interact where's this person going to fit because you have a lot of leaders within the organization already and we make we can encourage and help them to question those things early on so i would mm. say working with a partner on in quite a close collaboration is actually a really good way for a first wall of defense really to stop those issues coming to, coming to light. Obviously, if you're not in a position or don't want to work with, with partners in that way, then you need to have a thorough process. You need to conduct references and you really need to think and discuss openly and be transparent with that person who you're considering to hire. Where is your fit in the team? What are we going to do in the first 60 to 90 days? And you should already have a really good understanding of or somebody should already be almost starting their job during the interview process with some of these small companies. It should be a very good interaction between the hiring manager and, and the candidate. And you should have a good idea of when you're going to start. And if you're starting immediately, it's okay, okay, great conversation. And that was our project plan for three months. Let's get started. Sometimes, and in this case, it sounds like maybe something like that hasn't taken place and it's been a little bit rushed or it's not been investigated fully or hasn't been as transparent as maybe it should have been. And the issues there have obviously come to light after, after a few months.
0: So now we're in a pandemic and no one's working from the office. As this rolls on, do you think that we these startups will need an office in the future? Will you be hiring a German salesperson in Germany still, or will it be more distributed hub and spoke type things where actually you can go to the office once a month if you want, but the rest of the time you're working in Austria, you're working in London?
1: yeah i I haven't in the past a couple of in the past yeah two months or so from memory had uh, a new search where a, a client has said, We need somebody to be office-based. The thinking now and the norm now is you're going to be remote. You're going to be working from a home office, obviously field-based when that moment comes around that we can start visiting the clinics or you can start going to see the the B2B customers, the OEMs, whoever it may be. So still obviously interacting with people. But in terms of actually working from an office, I see a very remote workforce moving forward it will always be the case for some looking to hire you need a german speaking sales manager to be based in germany that will always still you know be a specific need because of the requirements that you have to engage specific customers even the other day i had a conversation with a big major um, manufacturer with an ultrasound who said we're open to hiring this sales position for Germany from across borders so we are open to seeing people from the Netherlands we're open to seeing people from further in Eastern Europe as well they don't necessarily need to speak German because we appreciate the market is a little bit different now so we are open to to hire people from across borders if they would relocate that's fantastic if they would travel to their required territory that type of thing that's also something that we're happy to explore, but that personality and cultural fit, that passion for, for sales and eagerness to work with our brand and our company is the most important thing. So the way that companies are hiring and taking consideration of the pandemic and the new world that we are working in is definitely something that is coming to light more and more.
0: And one of the other things that's important to me and to, to I, I suppose it should be important to everyone in health tech is the idea of diversity. And as a recruiter, how do you tackle this challenge? Because from my experience, lots of startups when they start out are quite homogenous. Just, I've started this with my friend or my colleague, etc. And then you grow using your own network. So you might not have people that are from different ethnic backgrounds or from different geographical locations or females, etc. So how do you think about diversity and how do you have to help these companies to shape their diversity strategies as well?
1: Yeah, it's a, a really important point. It should be for absolutely everybody. Discussions do come up with company leaders that I have who recognize that they need to diversify their teams, whether it's with gender, ethnicity or whether it's with actual skills and experiences that they have in their teams as well. We are always encouraging clients to diversify the skills and the product backgrounds that they hire into their teams as well. Some of these companies who are emerging in AI imaging may have an affinity for people from Philips within a specific area and you can just become a, a mini Philips or a mini G <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day and that's not what you want to do. And
0: We have to wrap up shortly. I wanted to end okay. by asking you about medical imaging AI in Europe. What's your view of the future of this segment and then also if there's any startups listening who want to get in touch with you even just for an introductory conversation how can they contact you
1: yeah thank you for that there is a significant emergence of more and more companies each day diversifying their portfolios to not just traditional imaging but also in pathological AI image analysis as well so there are more ways that AI is already evolving and, and will continue to evolve I'm sure what you know I'm hoping to see is just the emergence of more companies that are product-led organizations who hold patient care as the uh, utmost importance any companies who want to reach out to me, to discuss hiring or to discuss insights or just for an introduction whatever it may be catch me on LinkedIn you'll be able to see my name through the links or drop me an email which is uh, emil.larson at medical-cm.com and I'll be happy to, to set a time for, for a conversation.
0: Thank you Emil so much for coming on the podcast today I really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you for your time it's been an absolute pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Also head to the show notes to follow us on social media for all the latest content in health tech.